How much is your car insurance? Do you want some tips? Do you want to know the traps? What about buying a car later in life? Ah, this car will see me out. Uh, Have you heard that before? Are all petrols the same quality or diesels the same quality? Hello and welcome to the Your Life Choices podcast, part of Australia's longest established and most trusted digital destination for the over 50s. I'm your host, John Deeks, and today it's great to have Paul Morell on the line. Paul is the man behind SeniorDriverOz.com, the first place you should go if you want to know anything about motoring. G'day, Paul. Hello, John. How are you? I'm extremely well, thank you, my friend. And in my 70s, I'm very interested in an article I saw in the paper recently about the traps for insurance for cars. Am I paying too much? Should I compare? Etc. Etc. Give us a lowdown on what we should be looking for tips and traps for seniors. John, this is a, this is such an easy one for me. Uh, it's probably the most. It probably generates the most contact. Probably for certainly for senior driver and probably for your life choices. People are just constantly feeling they're being ripped off by the insurance companies. They don't know what they're buying. They don't know what they're getting. And it's a constant worry to particularly over 50s drivers because it just becomes an issue and it's becoming more of an issue as we go on. Yeah, I can imagine so, Paul, because, I mean, I keep my car undercover. I basically tootle around. I don't go crazy. Um, I don't drive many Ks. And I find that uh, the older I get, the, the less I want to put myself into dangerous situations. In other words, am I a better risk than somebody who's in a other age demographic? Absolutely. And this is one of the reasons that, it, that car insurers target older drivers. Why? Because they're profitable, obviously. We're finding that there's more appeal to older drivers. However, insurance premiums are apparently up something like 18% this year over last year. And the average premium now is, is up by $274. Ouch. Now, that's a significant amount of money, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sure is, mate. Why? There are a number of reasons. One is that there are more cars on the road, therefore there are more claims being made. It's just becoming more of an issue for insurance companies. And, of course, dare I say this very quietly, insurance companies like banks, want to increase their profits. So wherever they can see a means of making a profit, they will go for it. What is the percentage of people who just go, oh, well, I'll just pay it the same every year because of the loyalty thing? Unfortunately, loyalty in this case is almost a negative. It's really quite amazing. There are ways to reduce your costs in car insurance, and that is, of course, to shop around. I mean, as you say, people just go, oh, yep, fine, there's my renewal tick. And some people, even worse, will say, there's, I'm just doing automatic renewal. So every year it just automatically rolls over. That is a great way to waste a great deal of money. First thing you do is go back to your own insurer and say, this premium is too high, I'm not happy with this, can you improve it? And if not, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. In fact, I don't know, are you a poker player, John? Oh, I'm not really, no. I'm a, I'm a lousy gambler. I don't want to lose money. <laughs> no, no. Well, we, none of us want to lose money. But you have to be prepared almost to bluff with insurance companies. You come up and you literally lay it on the line. There are plenty of insurance companies around. They are desperate for business. And you have to push them as hard as you can. They'll make it as difficult as possible. Let's face it, it'll never be easy. But one of the things you can do, for example, is call them and ask for a quote as if you're a new customer. Yeah, what scares me, Paul, is the fine print. You know, I mean, who reads the fine print? I sure as heck don't. Uh, you probably do because you're in the business. But they say, okay, well, you know, do you want to have a uh, a $1,000 excess? So I go, well, okay, mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. Uh, this and that. And I'm always scared that if I do have some issue, I'll ring up and say, oh, sorry, that's not covered. 
Yeah, that is a problem. I love the way glibly people say, oh, if it sounds too good to be true. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably isn't. Yeah. There are, as you say, pages and pages of terms and conditions in what they call the PDF. To, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping, I promise you grab one of those and read it for a while. Yeah. Insurance companies will rely on that too, that you just don't bother to read that stuff. Now, I'm not suggesting that you sit there and go through the 25 pages of 10-point bold to find out what's in there, but you can do some very quick things with a policy that don't require you to read every page of the document. For example, if you're paying for, for extras you don't need, you know, do you need to pay for replacement keys, for example, although some of them can be very expensive? Do you need to pay for a policy that says we'll replace your parts with genuine parts or we'll give you the choice of preferred repairer or, you know, we'll replace your windscreen without excess or we'll give you a loan car when your car's off the road? You really need to ask whether those things are important and whether they're worth paying for. I mean, when's the last time you replaced a windscreen? Mm. Having a windscreen without an excess is not necessarily a bonus. Genuine parts, well, there are plenty of parts that aren't genuine that are as good as the genuine parts. If you've got a car at home as well as your ordinary car, then you don't need a loan car, for example, if your car's off the road. And all of these things are built into a policy in order to increase the premium. Can you possibly put up on Senior Driver Oz, say, Paul Morell's, you know, 10 tips for looking at car insurance so people can go there and, and have a look? Oh, look, I certainly can. Um, it needs to be as simple as possible. As mm. I said, it's boring stuff. It's like going and buying a, a car battery. No one really wants to do it. But when you realise how much it's costing you, and as I said, with the average premium going up by $274, it's worth spending you know, half an hour or an hour. It's worth pestering the insurance company. It's maybe worth getting a competitive quote and seeing if it's better than the, the one you have. And yeah, of course. I will certainly put up 10 things you need to do before you go and get an insurance policy. And I'll make it as simple as possible. And I'll make it applicable to over 50s drivers. Yeah, make, 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 it, make it for me, will you? Over 70s. Now, <laughs> so often you hear people say, I want to get a car. I'm not going to do many Ks. And this is the car that's going to see me out. In inverted commas. Okay. Now, buying a car in later life. Here is a about how long is a piece of string, I know, Paul, but uh, give me some tips. No, that's not that's not at all. I mean, it's a real issue, again, for older drivers. And one of the issues, if you want to buy a car in your advancing years, and we're all there, is that it's very, very hard to get finance. Right. I didn't think of that. So you, you look at finance for a car, and a number of my readers have come back to me and said, oh, I've been knocked back for finance, and I can't understand why. You know, I've got a good good record. I've done this. I've done this. But the problem is when we get to our age is whether we have a regular income. And there are all sorts of ways to define a regular income, but finance companies will look at a regular income, in other words, something they can measure and something that is guaranteed. Now, the good news here is, of course, that the pension is a regular income and it's also pretty much guaranteed, well, depending what the government decides to do with it. So if you're on a pension, whether it's an age pension, a disability pension or a parenting pension, or even as a carer of an elderly or disabled getting a pension, then you have a regular income which you can have assessed to get finance. That's good. So, Paul, what are some of the, the points that one should be looking for when buying a car later in life? Well, perhaps the most important thing is you need to take into account the total cost of ownership. I mean, it's all well and good to look at how much it costs to buy the car, and you go, isn't that great? I can afford it. Thank you very much. And then suddenly you realise that there is insurance, there's registration, there's stamp duty, there's repairs and maintenance, there's fuel, um, there's cost of tolls, there's your roadside assistance membership. Mm. All these things add on top of the cost of buying the car. And if you're on a fixed income, 
and some of those things change, which of course they are at the moment because they're all going up, then suddenly you can find yourself getting further and further behind the eight ball. So you need to take into account not just the cost of the car, but realistically look at the long-term ownership costs. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's very sage advice. Um just moving on now to another matter, Paul, and as I drive around my city, I see all the various fuel companies and some of them who I've never heard of before uh, <laughs> advertising fuel. Do they all come from the same place? Is it uh, Are fuels all the same quality? I'm not talking about the, the various, you know, 97s or, or whatever, but are the fuels themselves the same quality? Look, it's an interesting question. Um, Let me put it this way to you. Would Paul Morell not care where he gets his petrol? Um, not quite. No, I don't go quite that far. But the, the simple fact is that everyone seems to think it comes out of the one big tank somewhere. And it's not far from the truth. I mean, the honesty is uh, the RAC and WA, for example, checked out all the different brands and found that, number one, they're all within legal specifications, which is good to hear. But really importantly, none is consistently better than another. So if you're buying Caltex or Ampol, or you're buying even something like Liberty or one of the more independents, yeah. you know you're getting fuel of a perfectly acceptable quality. It's not like they're, they're suddenly watering it down or making it worse. It is effectively within, within tolerances. So fuels are pretty much much of a muchness. Why, why can uh, one company charge less than a, a major? I wish I knew. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned about why one company can knock the price up by 24 cents or 40 cents overnight. I don't know. It's pretty much a marketing thing. Um, we talk about the ACCC keeping an eye on fuel costs and, and, you know, we're keeping an eye on things, but it doesn't seem to make the slightest bit of difference. When we talk about restraint of trade, I mean, in my area, probably the same as yours, every service station goes up by exactly the same amount at exactly the same time. Now, that to me is, is almost collusion. That just shouldn't be allowed to happen. Paul, the cost of fuel varies greatly. Do you think there's a point where it'll sustain under $2 mark in the future? Look, it should, John, but, you know, who would know? The simple fact is that fuel prices are the result of a number of different factors. And the one that annoys me most of all, and most people don't realise this, is that 48.8 cents in every litre of fuel you buy is tax. Mm. People are struggling at the moment. And you know, for a litre of fuel, which, as you say, is $2, 48.8 cents of that is a tax. And it's, it's really becoming very, very difficult for people to, you know, the decision is, do I buy fuel or do I, you know, I've got to drive the kids to school. I've got to do this. I have to do that. I have to go down to the shops. I have to go to the doctor. I mean, a car is an essential part of everyday life. And the cost of fuel at $2 is becoming incredibly onerous. We've seen $2.15 in South Australia. And certainly for people in the rural areas, it's even worse. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things and no one seems to be doing anything about it. And no one seems to be controlling it. No one seems to be sort of asking the question. Yeah, it, it's like, the, it's we like Melbourne weather, mate. Everyone talks about it, but no one does anything about it. <laughs> Paul, do you think the cost of fuel is a way that the government are trying to push us towards EVs? It's an interesting point. I don't think it's that deliberate. It is certainly one of the reasons that people are moving to EVs. There's no question. But... You know, again, until we get electric vehicles down to a point, if you sit down and do the numbers, it doesn't still make sense to buy an electric vehicle on the premise of it's going to save me money. Yeah. So the fuel thing is it's an important factor and it's a good question. There will be petrol cars around for decades to come. The reality is that they, they won't just go off the road overnight. 
I tell you what, I'll promise you this right now. Um, my daughter-in-law has just moved to a, a lower socioeconomic part of Melbourne. And if you go from one part of Melbourne, which is uh, a high income area, and go to an area that is not, the price of fuel changes dramatically. It's interesting. Most most states, and like sure Victoria and New South Wales are the same, have an app now. It's usually through the motoring association where you can monitor the price of fuel. Yeah. And basically you can say, well, okay, it's cheap there. Obviously, it's not going to make sense to drive all the way across Melbourne to save, you know, four cents a litre, but it will make a difference if you go, oh, well, then I'll buy it when I'm going through there because that's the best price I can get. Perth has an interesting thing, WA has an interesting thing, which is the fuel companies have to specify what the price of fuel will be for the next 24 hours and they're not allowed to change it. So you know how to do that. That's an interesting approach. But, um, you know, it's also, it's a nuisance having to check, you know, how much is fuel and where should I go and will I be in that area? My biggest concern with the increasing price of fuel is that people may decide in the interest of saving money to start buying cheaper sorts of fuel. Now, obviously, cheaper fuel, we just said they're all pretty much the same. When I say cheaper fuel, I mean a lower octane <laughs> fuel. Um, I know. You know. I just My daughter, uh, I just had her car serviced and the uh, the service guy said, uh, is she running on a cheap fuel? I said, yeah, she's a university student, mate. Told, no, no, this this engine on this little Polo needs to have good juice. So I told her, exactly I said, right. I'll help pay for you, honey. You just got to put in the good the good gear into the car. I mean, yes, that's it's perfectly right. Um, the situation is that European cars, most of them need premium fuel at least 95 octane. Because they don't actually in Europe have the, the low octane that we have here, do they? No, they're phasing out 91 octane. Yeah. And, of course, 91 octane has every, every possibility of damaging the engine in the long term. It won't do it overnight, but in the long term. And that will void your warranty, amongst other things. I mean, quite apart from ending up with a you know destroyed engine. So you don't want to put, you know, for the sake of saving a few dollars, put cheaper fuel in the car and then find yourself, again, it's that false economy thing. I mean, the RACV suggests that it's um, using 98 octane versus 91 will cost you like a, an extra $240 a year. Now, that, again, is a significant amount of money, particularly for someone who's a student. So, again, you've got to work out the long-term effect. E10, for example, which is a little bit cheaper, again, it's two cents cheaper than 91 usually is all well and good. But in fact, the RACV worked out that it'll cost you more if you use E10 than if you use 91. The reason being that E10 is less efficient, mm. so you use more of it and you end up, it's only, it's only marginal, and you, it'll cost you like $10 more a year. But, you know, it's not a saving. Paul Morell, the voice of motoring reason, has joined us today on Your Life Choices and get to Senior Driver Oz aus.com. That's the place to go if you'd like to know more about what we've spoken about today and everything else. Uh, great tips and also some terrific reviews of, of cars. Paul, thank you so much indeed for giving up your time and let's talk again in the future. Indeed we will, John. I look forward to it.